This program provides alternate views on The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This program is not affiliated in any way with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Listener discretion is advised if your testimony is tender. You're listening to the In Search of Truth podcast with Marcus Joseph. Episode 1, Was Not Looking Forward to Conference. Right now, what's going on is General Conference. And I got to tell you, I... Normally look forward to general conference, but this time I kind of knew exactly what to expect. And it and it took away from my excitement because I knew that we were going to have uh, a lot of speakers and because they have priesthood authority, therefore their opinions are almost synonymous with doctrine, especially if you consider uh, the teaching that whether by my own voice or the voice of my servants, it is the same, which is Doctrine and Covenants 138. And uh, that can cause a lot of people to really take every every speaker's opinion as pure truth. Um, and although President Nelson said that, and at least he said last conference, that what you're hearing is pure truth, I feel that it's good to push back on that just a little bit because not everything that you hear is pure truth. There are some things that are pure truth. And yes, pure truth can be found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But the Holy Ghost will identify what is and what is not because there are still some things that are not totally true in our church. Some people have perspectives and they make connections that aren't really solid. And what you're supposed to be hearing with these church speakers is you're supposed to be trying to hear what the Holy Ghost is telling you. And the Holy Ghost is able to use these people as receptacles for pure thoughts to come through to you. Um, but they're humans that are still speaking. They're not, none of them are Jesus Christ, um, but they do carry with them the Holy Ghost, which is the voice of Jesus Christ. And they carry with them that opportunity for you to also hear the Holy Ghost which will communicate to you and to them and blah, 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 right? So now here's the thing. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth, right? And what is truth? Truth is reality. Now, if reality includes the fact that all the speakers are doing right now is rehashing or repeating things that have been previously said, in my opinion, repetition is okay, but that's if you're really, really like learning things from the uber basics. Otherwise, it's an indication that there is a lack of inspiration, which inspiration can still take and use the same elements that exist in the gospel of Jesus Christ or in the church, but it orders it in a more refined and correct way. And don't get me wrong, there's truth in the things that have been repeated, but the way that it's phrased and the way that it's referenced, there's still um, dissonance. As one pastor who actually had the opportunity to attend conference said, Elder Urkdorf says this this life is like looking through a glass darkly and he references a scripture that's in the Bible. Well, in my opinion, life is not like looking through a glass darkly. If I am in tune with the spirit and I have light coming through my mind, it's electrifying my mind. uh, Life is lit up. So it's not a glass darkly. Now he shared that on a couple of occasions. Sometimes what speakers do is they share things and tell people to do things based upon their own projections in their own life and what they see. And some leaders don't differentiate between reality outside of them and from within their own perspective. And the reason church leaders get into this perspective where they, they can only see from within their own minds um, is because they only see one way of doing things. And the reason they only see one way of doing things 
is because they hyper-focus on the fact that there is only one way to eternal life through Jesus Christ, which there is only one way through Jesus Christ, but then they apply the thinking of there's only one way to everything. So then people like Ryan K. Olson, Elder Ryan K. Olson from the Celestial Conference, they'll share, uh, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Savior taught his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the answer to the question of how to come unto Heavenly Father. Gaining a testimony of his divine role in our lives was something I learned as a young man. And so, But it all points, and that's from uh, Elder Ryan K. Olson's talk, um, The Answer is Jesus, that all points to this mindset that there's only one way of doing things. And uh, that's against God. There is only one way to God, but there isn't one way to doing things in life that can still lead you back to God. And the truth of what I'm saying is validated in our belief in agency and freedom of choice. And your choices are not limited to it's my way or the highway. Even though Jesus does say in Matthew 12, 30, he that is not with me is against me, you can still be with him in multiple various ways. And even Elder Uchtdorf phrases it this way in another talk that I actually liked that he wrote, which was our heartfelt all. And he says, when we look at our lives and see a hundred things to do, we feel overwhelmed. When we see one thing, loving and serving God and his children in a hundred different ways, then we can work on those things with joy, which whatever that means. And because Elder Uchtdorf understands this concept, he doesn't really give off those vibes of there's only one way you can do things here, but there are those that do. And I refrain from naming them, but this is just for awareness's sake. What they will do is then in any other contrary method that goes contrary to the established one way of doing things, even if it's another method that keeps all of the commandments, that, and that's the key is that it's always, there are multiple ways to serve God and to serve your neighbor and to love others. But if you love others and love God for non-traditional reasons while still honoring the commandments, you can be looked upon with judgment and with uh, animosity and without an open mind because they don't see how you put the commandments together in the way that you did. And so they don't understand your reasoning. And then they attempt to put to death what they don't understand. I had a mission president who wanted to do everything specifically in that one way that he saw it needed to be done and every single little detail needed to have the order that he thought for it. So during quarantine, we didn't have a lot going on and I happened to be moved to an area where there was actually a guy who was in my previous area, uh, had a recording studio in this area. Um, and so I hit him up and I was like, Hey, we should, I, I should record a, a, a hymn at your place. He said, sure. Now I could sense and I already knew that my mission president felt that recording studios were basically of the devil for whatever reason. He cites worldliness, which was basically anything you did of the world. He like It, it could be so many different things. I don't even think he really liked missionaries having acoustic guitars because he thought acoustic guitars were of the world, therefore of the devil. Um, he just, he did, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have it. He just only what's put in the church by apostles is of God like that. Like it was like that kind of mindset. So a recording studio going to any kind of a recording studio would be like absolutely blasphemous. Now, technically I had permission to go into this area because I was the district leader 
And so I could give myself permission because I, that's what I was allowed to do. We get to the recording studio. It was only about 15 minutes away. It was so close. And we get in there. We start recording the song. I realized we're, we might not have enough time to do it in one day. And I knew that by the time word got out that we had gone to a recording studio during COVID and we'd social distanced. So we were fine. We were, we were, I was in a different room recording when they did it. Anyways, I, I knew that our mission president would call us and be absolutely furious with what we just did. Um, and of course, even though, you know, you can still, you, you, we were still allowed to go shopping. Uh, we were still allowed to technically go in restaurants. I don't think we were allowed to dine in during quarantine, but we could at least go shopping. Um, we were allowed to be around people as long as we social distance and had masks, which we did during the whole studio time. So I broke no rules. In fact, the only rule that I did end up breaking was I wanted to make sure we finished the song just in case we never got a chance to go back because we'd be reprimanded for some reason. So, and again, this is just a recording studio. And we even discovered that the recording studio we went to actually did the music for the temple dedication of the Philadelphia temple. And the guy was a less active member and we had a whole lesson. We taught the atonement of Jesus Christ to him and to his studio assistant who was just Christian um, and we, we explained it to him in a way that he had, he never, he said he never understood, uh, really what it meant or what it was. And so we sat down and we explained it to him. We get back late because I, I wanted to finish the song. My companion, unfortunately didn't get to do his drum bit. He's a drummer. Um, because I was like, we got to finish something today. If we don't, we're never coming back. Um, even if he does his drum bit and the drums would have taken a minute so we get back late. We get back at like 10.45 at night, uh, close to 11. And the Spanish missionaries we were living with called the mission president and were like, they haven't come back yet. We don't know where they are. And we texted them on our way back. So whatever, they told the president, mission president anyways, as we walk into the door, mission president calls us. He's like, where are you guys? And uh, I was like, oh, well, uh, we are inside. <laughs> Um, and, uh, he's like, where, where, like, did you, where were you just, where were you just, I was like, oh, well, we just went to a recording studio and we recorded a hymn and he was just like, what are you doing? Like, do you not even know like what time it is and all this stuff? And I actually got really upset with him and I started to basically just be, just be frank with him. Like, you know what? You wouldn't let us go anyways. And I'm glad that we did because we recorded him and I had permission to do it. And anyways, he asked me and my companion, uh, to go see him in person. And this is during quarantine and to meet with him in person. And we met in person and uh, I actually explained to him, look, we've been sitting in our place for forever trying to call people and whatnot. I had this opportunity where I knew a less active member that I would be able to reach out to and, um, and, and get to know a little bit and do some music recording. And the guy even told us that it was like uh it was like a spiritual experience having the missionaries over and he was grateful for it and the mission president on the phone had told me that it was like i told him that i taught a lesson we we, we taught a full lesson about the atonement of jesus christ and i told him how we taught it and what we said and he just told me that's not a lesson I'm like well, what the what what is what is a lesson to you sir <laughs> right what is what is that to you i knew that if i had the spirit with me 
then the spirit would bring to my remembrance whatever I needed to tell him and that I could just talk to him. And we were both people. And I did sense that he was just on edge because he didn't have control in the situation. And I just was going to follow the spirit and the spirit would have control on the situation. And thankfully I was able to just convey to him, look, we had good intentions and we were able to do something good. And compared to the rest of the mission's efforts on Facebook, you know, I mean, this was actually like something of quality, you know, something that had effort put into it and the Lord loves effort. Right. So anyways, once I explained it to him, he actually apologized and said, okay, I get it. I understand it. He did take away my driving privileges, but it was funny because he took them away and gave them to my companion and said, now only your companion can drive. And I already wanted my companion to drive because he's a country boy and he, he doesn't really know. He didn't know how to drive in the city and I knew it would be a fun challenge for him. So I actually had him just already driving and the mission president didn't even know. So the consequence was like nothing changed because I technically didn't do anything wrong. That's how the circle of God's justice works. I did come home a little late and that was the only thing that I will say was wrong. But the reason I stayed out, right, was because I, I knew we wouldn't come back. So this is just one example of how you can be looked upon with judgment and with uh, animosity and without an open mind unless they're open to truth. And if they're not open to truth, they will maintain their perspective, which is only their perspective and not anyone else's. And they will only, they will continue in this path of single-mindedness and they're trained to immediately oppose the world. So if anything seems out of tradition, meaning the reasons are not traditional or on the surface look off, it is opposed and that produces ignorance. You can still have an eye that is single to the glory of God, but that can manifest in many different ways because his children are very different. Baptism and the saving ordinances will still remain the one way to access God and his power through Jesus Christ. But what you do with that power on earth is still open to variance as opposed to a common leadership trend, not being open to variance, which creates people that are way too open to variance and they rebel by, by having too much variance in their ideas and actions, which variance and rebelliousness often happens after they have time away from highly oppressive or heavy handed leaders. And they get to this point where they begin to go against the gospel of Jesus Christ and lack that love. So you give them dress and grooming standards, but then you don't tell them to innovate on their clothing, right? And especially the youth don't know where to draw that line, but they, they want to be able to express themselves. If a line is drawn and no creativity is fostered, then later on in life, all they'll know how to do is just oppose that line because they weren't taught how to innovate and, and create their own lines using the gospel. And they rebel in this way because they're like, well, I only have two choices. Do it the way they, they tell me to do it or I just do my own thing. And adult leaders have no idea this is what the youth are thinking. So the youth end up thinking there's only one way to do this, exactly how they tell me. And they don't, they don't think there's any room for creativity. Because it's eluded, there's only one way. And their ideas don't perfectly match that. That leads to shame. And of course, when you have shame, when you have this single perspective of focusing on the only way to do things, because that drives shame, you're going to end up with people who are ashamed of who they are. They don't believe that they're worthy of love because they are not doing things the one single way that is alluded to. They don't feel respect for themselves. They don't believe in their own success and their happiness dwindles. 
and it and it paralyzes spontaneity, which perfectly describes those church discussions that you know you can hear a pin drop when someone asks the question, and and no one wants to be spontaneous about answering because they're all you know they all feel shamed. And by the way, I'm kind of quoting from this Psych Central article uh, on how chronic shame drives addiction and codependency. Because if you're ashamed of who you are, yeah, you don't you don't believe you don't believe you're you don't believe that you matter. If you're ashamed of who you are, you don't believe that you matter. And you don't believe that you matter if you're not doing things in the one single way that you're being admonished to do them. And it and that and then on top of that, it's all packaged into only Jesus knows the way. But you can hear in the voices of these speakers, like you can only do things according to them. But, but they say you can only do things according to Jesus, but it sounds like you can only do things according to how we do things, like as a church culture and body. And there's a difference between the we and God. Because <laughs> we have so many church members that struggle with just feeling worthy. And the reason that they don't feel worthy is because they're told there's only one way to do things, and that's through Jesus. It's alluded that you don't know the way because I have to keep telling you what the way is. You know, we haven't gotten past the fact that we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's like, no, I need to tell you again, Jesus is the truth and the life. In case you haven't heard, Jesus is the way. Like, we get it. You can exemplify that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life by just talking more about him and about the things that he did instead of just saying that he's the truth and the life. You know, like, yeah, he said that, but there's more to it than just that phrase, right? So... But it seems a lot of talks just stay on that surface of the fact that he is the, the only way to do things, you see? So that, then that creates pride. So when leadership exhibits that there's only one way to do things, then you start finding people who are extreme perfectionists who want to f- figure out how to do it the one single way you're alluding to, which was my mission president in a total nutshell. God bless that man. That leads to low self-esteem and that leads to people-pleasing tendencies and that leads to guilt. Um, and that leads to codependency, actually. And this is, again, this is all from this psychcentral.com article titled Shame, the Core of Addiction and Codependency. And it further says, for people with codependency, shame can lead to control, caretaking, and dysfunctional, non-assertive communication, which, does that kind of person sound familiar? Have you seen a person like that around in your ward? Then they may be suffering from the shame. Shame creates fears and anxieties that make relationships difficult, especially intimate ones. Again, I've seen this in many church members where they have lots of fears and anxieties and have difficulties in relationships and forming relationships, especially intimate ones. Many people sabotage themselves in in work and relationships because of these fears. And I've actually noticed this manifests itself whenever the discussion of money is brought up Um, where most church members will hint to condemning doing anything that makes money or generating any kind of profit because they feel shame in it because they're told money is worldliness. And so you have actually a lot of youth who don't understand that money actually equates to being able to support a family. I mean, just look, if you go across the country and visit all kinds of YSA wards, there's a reason why, you know, it's difficult for a lot of these people in YSA wards to make relationships because of their fears and anxieties, not really feeling like they're doing it in the one true way half the time. And then, of course, you end up with people who blame the church for their misfortune and their shameful mindset 
because they feel so bad about themselves that they can't take responsibility for any mistakes or misunderstanding. And that's where the entire Exmo church member group was formed. And so you got people who will reject the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost because they think the culture is a reflection of them and their teachings, which is why there's a problem in that the teachings are not often understood properly. And when they're taught improperly, then it is received with offense. People hide their shame by feeling sad, superior, or angry at a perceived insult. There is definitely a feeling of we are superior that I I get. I'll give you two accounts of superiority that I've noticed. First... There's a talk by Elder Jorge F. Zeballos given this last conference called Building a Life Resistant to the Adversary. And in part of the talk, he talks about how there's joy that's promised in the scriptures, but that we shouldn't understand the joy that's found in the scriptures to mean, quote, that we will have no no difficulties or sorrows, that we will have no crack in our soul, as consequences of temptations of adversity or from the actual trials of our earth life. So right off the bat, he's approaching the scriptures as what can we get out of it? Where's the joy? How can I get what I want? And then he goes on to say, this joy has to do with Nephi's perspective on life when he said, having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days, all his days, even the days that Nephi suffered during the incomprehension and rejection of his own brothers, even when they tied him up on the ship, even the day that his father Lehi passed away, even when Laman and Lemuel became mortal enemies of his people, even in those difficult days, Nephi felt highly favored of the Lord. What Elder Zabalos inadvertently has done is he actually highlighted where Nephi was oppressed and how Nephi then used superiority to cover up the shame that he felt that he was experiencing uh, from people that were persecuting him. So in this funny way, the reason why it's important to note why this general authority cited his superiority in being highly favored of the Lord as his source of joy is an indication that this person is also finding joy in covering up any shame that he feels. Technically, you shouldn't feel any shame uh, from human other human beings if you do truly have a testimony and a testimony that lives through Jesus Christ of Heavenly Father and that is confirmed by the Holy Ghost. You would have no shame because there would be no fear. But if he believes that Nephi's joy had to do with the fact that he was feeling superior and that he felt highly favored, then he also equates joy with feelings of superiority that result from feeling shame. See, because Jesus taught that he who is greatest among you, let him be your servant. Now, You could also say that he who is highly favored of the Lord, let him be your servant. Because Jesus was the highest favorite of anyone, and yet he teaches whoever is highly favored of me or of the Father, then let him be your servant, right? If whoever is greatest, we would would assume that being the greatest would be to be highly favored if we use God as a scale of what is greatness. Elder Zabalos does what every other general authority almost always does, which is tries to offer some kind of solution for the pain 
as uh, a as a complete medication package, a, a an initial problem sales pitch and the final product as a result. And to sell it to you, he's going to manipulate your emotions by telling you, here's what joy is. Joy is superiority and superiority is being highly favored of the Lord. But Nephi himself doesn't say that I was joyful because I was highly favored. He only says that he was afflicted. Nevertheless, he was highly favored, most likely to indicate that even though these people didn't approve of him, there was someone else who did. The situation was never going to be joyful, but that was a reality that helped him move through it, but it did not give him joy. Nephi says, Behold, my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord. And that's 2 Nephi 4, 16. Nephi also says on another occasion in 2 Nephi 25, 26, we rejoice in Christ. So he actually, he loved Jesus. He loved speaking of him. He loved thinking of him. Perhaps thinking that he was highly favored of him gave him happiness. But the idea that he was superior to his brothers and highly favored wasn't the aspect that he was doing more important things than them. That was what got him through hard Nephi times or the fact that his loyalty was greater than his brother's. As Elder Zabalos alludes to, it was the idea that someone else loved him when others did not. That helped him the most. But if you title a talk, Building a Life Resistant to the Adversary, you already put yourself in an us versus them mentality where you're going to think about the situation of Nephi and his brothers in an us versus them mindset rather than the possible emotional dynamics that could have been at play. A black and white mindset often marks ignorance and is actually a favorite tool of the adversary. And that leads into my second example of superiority. I remember near the end of my mission, the mission president gave a PowerPoint on how you're basically a failure if you don't finish. And he gave a scriptural example of someone who didn't finish something and how they failed. Which, yeah, finishing is important. But I was beyond that. You'll never be finished being a missionary. Maybe I just want everyone to win. I don't feel that church members all the time or leaders are happy. Sometimes they feel sad to me and they just smile because they think they should be happy. Which as life goes, you know, that Jesus was a man of many sorrows, so that's no surprise. But I thought men are that they might have joy. I just maybe when is that joy? I don't know. Some talk, some speakers feel a little angry, to be honest. Like they're angry at this world and they're angry at people out in the world that aren't a part of their one true way of doing things and that's just does just stop just stop <laughs> i can't tell you for how many years you know church leaders had talked about technology as basically being quote of the world and distraction not of god blah blah blah, blah right and so technology was always shunned in in church and even my little brother had an instance where someone thought he was texting on his phone when really he was taking down notes. And the lady got upset at him and kept telling him to put his phone away. But he's like, no, I'm taking notes. And uh, that really ticked him off. And only until late have leaders realized, oh, technology is made by God. We should be grateful. You know, it took them forever and a kick in the butt by COVID-19 to, to get their heads back onto an innovative path. Seeing the technology for how God could actually use it and using it for missionary work and sharing the gospel in digital ways that makes it so much more efficient because COVID-19 forced church leaders to have to innovate, to have to figure out how to share the gospel through missionaries that were isolated. See, if you have God on your side, if you have the all intelligent being of the universe, you should be able to see any kind of innovation that exists 
and see the full potential of it immediately if you really are in tune with that Holy Spirit of truth. Because if you can't see that and it takes you forever to get there, um, there is a bit of a disconnect between you and God. Sorry. And if you're being the gatekeeper between what is okay and what is not okay according to God and you're telling people, okay, this is according to God and you're keeping people from seeing how God could use things to his advantage and instead just talking about opposing people. Yeah, that's you're, you're, you're slowing people down. Now they do always talk about repentance and repentance is uh, necessary. Of course that what you're doing is you're first, you confess to God, the thing that you did wrong. You tell him, Hey, I'm sorry I did this thing. Um, and then if need be, you go talk to a Bishop about, uh, if, you know, if it's like very serious according to God, which of course that always means pornography and, uh, what else? Um, usually sexual sin. That's really what they're referring to. Drugs. I'm sure that counts too, but the main problem, you know, the, 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 the main one that, that, that main constant urge to just do things with our bodies that God built into us. Right. Yeah. That, 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 pro- that problem. Right. Okay. Which of course church leaders never really fully understand because I I don't know if they remember the last time they were single and ever tried to date people over the internet or with the internet as an option. So church leader perspectives on repentance usually have to do with sexual sin. Recognizing that that's often what's assumed, that is just a sliver of what repentance actually means. 